0: welcome all of you basketball fans. Glad that you could join us tonight. Uh, today is a big day in a lot of ways. Uh, first day of the week, opportunity to worship God and to be with God's people, and of course big game happening uh, tonight. As we think about the Chiefs and the 49ers playing a Super Bowl showdown, I was kind of thinking, what do you, what do you say on, the, on that particular Sunday you try to know your audience, and knowing that your audience, for the most part, as their mind you know, has already skipped ahead uh, you know, to about 30 minutes or so. Well, as you think about the battle happening in Las Vegas between uh, the 49ers and the Chiefs, uh, I started thinking about that a little bit and how many similarities there are between a more consequential and eternal spiritual battle that we all in Christ are in. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he uses an athletic analogy, but it's a different one. It's running. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Uh, I've titled tonight's message, If You Want to Win. And it's a little bit tough to to shift out of 1 Corinthians 9 because that competition is with other athletes. But, you know, in in our battle as Christians, the competition is not with one another. Our, Our battle is really not against... In anyone in this world, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, it's it's against uh, the, our enemy in the spiritual realm, and I think if we really took that to heart, it would eliminate a lot of uh, conflict and tension and friction that happens within the church. Uh, we we have to keep in mind who the real enemy is. But but I was thinking in this battle, where you know Satan desires your soul, and and. God certainly wants your soul and bought and paid for it through His Son. Uh, we're in possession of the of the soul, and and we get to choose which team we're gonna gonna play for. So, if you want to win in this battle, the eternal battle for your soul, uh, I think there's some things you gotta gotta do and you gotta have to do. So, talk about those and uh, give you a couple of scriptures and some things to think about. First you got to have a plan. You know that tonight, the uh, 49ers and the Chiefs have not did, didn't just get on a plane to Las Vegas and say, all right, guys, do your best out there. I mean, there's too much on the line. Uh, there, there's been countless uh, time, hours spent reviewing and understanding the opposite team and, and how they play and how they run plays and and what their style is, and how we defend against that, and how we're going to run offense. And, you know, we, we, we have all of these uh, plans and plays, and that's by design. That winning is no accident, it doesn't happen on accident. It's, it's almost, in fact, I really couldn't think of a time when in a competition, when winning happens uh, without a plan. Every successful coach is successful because they have a plan. They know how to orchestrate, organize the, the players on the field, the team in such a way that they uh, execute and win. So in order to win, to be on a winning team, you've got to trust the coach and you follow his plan. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 famously says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Uh, if we if we uh, if we trust god as the head coach if you will uh, we trust in him with everything and 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 we don't lean upon our... I mean, imagine how uh, much chaos there would be in the game tonight if if all the players just decided you know what i really think i know what's best here i'm just going to run this play okay um i'm i'm going to do this i feel like i should we should you know, kick it or throw it or run it or I'll, I'll do what I want. Well, of course, that's chaos and, and ridiculous. You, you can't win that way. You have to have the right coach, and you have to trust in his plan. Well, the same is true in the spiritual battle. We have to have that same level of trust in the Lord and be able to not only trust in him, but to trust his plan. It doesn't make sense to us sometimes. Sometimes it seems like I would have done that differently. Well, you might have, but you're not the coach. So we have to trust the head coach, and we have to trust his plan. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, uh, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we not only have to trust the coach, but we have to trust his word. We have to trust his plan. Um, <clears throat> some people complain that, you know, I, I, I don't. I, God seems rather silent to me. Well, is he? Or are you just not listening? Are, is are you taking time to fill your heart and your mind with His Word? Uh, are you listening to Him? Are you trusting Him? You remember this, the account of Samuel when he was first called, and he he was a, a child at the time, and his mother Hannah had prayed and prayed for him, and then she her prayer was answered and, and in this beautiful story, she turns him over, turns over her firstborn son uh, to the high priest, to Eli and entrusts uh, little boy Samuel to his care. And now Samuel has never heard the voice of God that we know of. And all of a sudden God begins speaking to Samuel and he, uh, Samuel didn't know how to respond. In fact, he thought it was Eli that was calling him. And so he said, but you know, Hey, what did you call me? He said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. And this happens again. And he said, "I it wasn't me. And then finally, Eli, it clicks with him. Oh, okay. And God must be speaking to him. And so Eli tells him, he says, go back and lie down. And if you hear that voice again, Samuel, Samuel. Here's, what, here's how you respond to that. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Eli was not a perfect man and he had his share of flaws, but that was good counsel. If we would adopt such a posture, and that's really what Samuel did, we should take on that posture as well. When we read God's word, when we study it, when we think about it, we should say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And give him our, not only our trust, but our attention. Okay, so you've got to have a plan. And that involves trusting the coach and trusting, trusting in the plan. Uh, two, you need a solid team. Uh, I don't think, <clears throat> I, I'm not a Super Bowl expert, but I don't think there's ever been a single Super Bowl won uh, by a single person. If I'm wrong in that, please come and correct me. But uh, you've got to have a team. Teamwork makes the dream work, to, uh, to give you a little cliche there. Uh, there's, the same is true in the spiritual battle. I often think about that, that, you know, God didn't... God could have made it where just, you know, once you accept Christ and you're baptized and you're Christian, hooray, hurrah, you go on your way. But he didn't. He adds us to the church. Well, why does he do that? What's the purpose in that? There, there's a reason for that, you see. God, God knows that we need one another. And there's things that I can learn from others in the body and have learned in, from others in the body in their temperament, in their spiritual gifts, in their love, in their example of faith, and on and on. And I learned those things, and I I, I certainly learned from God's word. I also learned from God's people. Solomon wisely said, he said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Well, uh, we often use that verse in in speaking of uh, marriage. When that's true... It's also true within the spiritual battle. Two are better than one. Um, So God gives us a team. And uh, there's a couple of ways I thought about this. First, I think a huge helper, a huge fellow teammate is the Holy Spirit. Um, John chapter 14, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, Peter uh, promised him in the Sermon on Pentecost, repent, for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive what two things? The forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, He's given to us for a reason and a purpose. Jesus clarified that purpose. He said uh, in John fourteen twenty six. He says, "The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring them to your remembrance what I've said to you." Okay, He's talking about, of course. Uh, the apostles and 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 reminding them that, you know, don't worry, you're not going to forget all the things I've told you. I'm going to give you a helper who's going to ha- come alongside you, which is what the word Holy Spirit paraclete means, um, and he's going to remind you of everything that I've said and that you need to say. And, of course, this is before, you know, the, the written word. They didn't just have book, chapter, verse to turn to, so they needed a helper. And the Holy Spirit, as we see in the book of Acts, as we've gone through that study, has been involved in so many ways in helping the church to grow and to spread and to overcome obstacles. The Holy Spirit helps us in the same way. John said this, he said, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, We're told in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So he resides within us. I don't think he gives us any supernatural powers or abilities, but he helps us. He, uh, Romans 8 says that he uh, helps us pray. <laughs> I think he helps us make decisions. I, I think he helps us uh, uh, remember things from God's word that maybe we know, but he, he brings them to mind. So he, he helps us in that way. He wants to win. And the beautiful thing is he's greater than he who's in the world. Uh, You and I are are clearly outmatched when it comes to our spiritual adversary, when you really think about who he is and how powerful he is. Except that the Holy Spirit who resides in us is much stronger than him. And so we have the advantage in that way. So we we lean upon the Holy Spirit and, and we know that he's there to help us and is greater than he who's in the world. Second, we have the church. The body of Christ, uh, God's team, if you will. Um, You and I need a team because we all have strengths and weaknesses. Um, mm, Can I share this tonight? Yeah, I can. Um, I'm at the phase with grace where, you know, we're learning to to drive in the, the parking lot out here at church, okay? And, uh, you know, make sure it's plenty empty and all of that. And so she's learning. And so we're, we're talking about the importance of mirrors and why mirrors are important. And I said, you need mirrors because there's, as you're sitting there, Grace, there's parts of the car that you are unable to see. And so you need a mirror to show you your blind spot. And I think the body of Christ helps us in that way. If we're doing what the body of Christ should do, we all have blind spots, and so the body of Christ helps us with our blind spots. Uh, someone else's strength is your weakness. Uh, your strength is someone else's weakness. So it's it's beautiful, It's a, and the analogy, of course, is from 1 Corinthians 12. It's the analogy of a body. You've got all these different parts. Uh, just as the body is one but has many members, all the members are one body. Though many, they are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. But the body does not consist of one member but of many. <clears throat> um, in, in the body of Christ, we give up all of ourselves. And, and we really should, as we mature in Christ, give up all selfishness. Uh, we, we yield to one another and we learn from one another. Um, if, we, if we're in the body of Christ with my agenda and my way and the things I want, my way or the highway, that, that is not kingdom type of thinking. We're a body. We work together. We're, we're all on the same team. Every purpose, every, every, rather every member in the body of Christ has a part and a purpose. And all the players supplement one another. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body... Uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the, part, uh, uh, to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one Body. Um, My foot can't do what my eye does. My eye can't do what my foot does. But they both need each other. They're very different. They're created to do different things. We shouldn't uh, be jealous of one another's gifts. We shouldn't desire to be another part. Uh, We should think about the part that God made us to be within the body of Christ. And and so you can think about it like this. What do people acknowledge in you? What do people say you're good at that? Uh, what, what things do you... Are, come just come so naturally to you? Um, those kind of give us a better sense of maybe where our part is within the body. Sometimes we desire to be a part that we're not. and And that... If you're after... <laughs> within the body of Christ and within the team, back to the team analogy, every, every team has a role. Um, the defensive end cannot go out on the field all the time wishing he was the quarterback and thinking about the quarterback and, and hating the quarterback and being jealous of the quarterback and saying, I, that guy doesn't know how to do it. I can do it. Because okay? he doesn't play his part is going to cause a lot of problems on that team, and they're not going to function as well as they should. All those hmm, multi millions of dollars are paid to them to know their part and to do that one part with excellence. the uh, The kicker is always the one that amuses me. He, you know, got a very small part, but in that moment better kick that ball straight and high and right between the uprights. And he's paid millions of dollars to do it. So that in the moment where you're most needed, he fulfills his part. Same is true with us. So to have a solid team, one, you rely on the Holy Spirit. Two, you, you be a part of the church. And, and you, you find your part within the body And do it to the best of your ability, so in the time of need, the church has a fully functioning, fully prepared body doing its ministry. Number three, you better know your adversary. Now, you you know this is true in professional sports. Uh, They spend a ridiculous amount of time and money studying their adversary. Studying each player individually, Studying their strengths and their weaknesses, studying the team as a whole, which way they favor, what what what, what strengths they have, what, what plays they're unable to defend against. They spend a lot of time knowing their adversary because they, they realize if they know their adversary, they're halfway to winning. Now they have to execute, they have to do what they know, but but they have to understand their adversary. We, in the same way, need to know our adversary. Ephesians chapter 6, as I alluded to earlier. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's an adversary uh, that's continually against us. And, And when we begin to put on our spiritual eyeglasses and we see that... Flesh and blood is not where the enemy lies. Anytime we think it's a person or a group of people, the enemy has been successful in deceiving us. We have to look behind that. We have to look at the spiritual forces who are moving those people or use, utilizing and using those people. Um, Jesus calls him a thief. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's who the enemy is. Uh, Peter says that he's vicious. Be sober-minded. In other words, be serious about this. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I think if you really want to understand that, you really want to understand him, you have to make that real personal. He's seeking to devour your grandchildren. He's seeking to kill your children. He's seeking to take your spouse. He, he, he really wants you. He's absolutely relentless and vicious in who he'll go after. And when we understand how how mean and, and just he'll stop at nothing, we really should take him seriously How how close we allow ourselves to get to him. We understand that he's a liar. Jesus said he's a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. When you tell a lie, great or small, you are speaking the devil's language. Even when you tell a half-truth or don't tell the whole truth, that is speaking, that is getting into the devil's area. He can't stand the truth. He can't work in truth. I, I, the more I study our adversary, the devil, I, I'm convinced he can't speak the truth. It's, it's his, like Jesus said, it's his native language. It's the only thing he knows how to say. So we, when we feel ourselves being deceptive, or in truth, don't tell the whole truth, or tell partial truths, we've got to be real, real careful because we're, we're lining up with the wrong team in that. He says he's deceptive. Uh, Paul said, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan disguises himself. Uh, Jesus used the phrase, wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, you know Our adversary works under disguises of being a fellow sheep, of, of being light. This is why you know, shepherds are so important. Because they have to use some discernment knowing that our adversary will disguise himself. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says that our enemy, for as mean and real and vicious and deceptive and lying as he is, he's, he's kind of a simpleton. He, he really just has three basic plays that he's going to use. 1 John two sixteen says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Those are his three basic plays. He used them on Eve in the garden. He used them on Jesus in the wilderness. He'll use them on you and I. Those, those basic plays will take different forms, but it's always lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And the good news is, he can be resisted. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? As mighty and powerful as he is, I don't think it's by our own strength. I think it's the Holy Spirit. But when we resist Satan, when we resist temptation, uh, the devil cannot withstand that. He'll move on to another target. Okay, so you've got to have a game plan. You need a solid team. You better know your adversary. And you probably ought to put your, gear, your game gear on. Uh, you wouldn't imagine playing the Super Bowl without a helmet, without padding, without uh, the uniform. Well, we have, uh, to, in the same way, put our game gear on. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor, not your armor, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. And he goes on to describe the armor, it's the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, uh, all of which can ex- uh, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I think you know, much can be said of all of those, but the biggest one is that the, the, the weapons that we have are... The word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, the scripture tells us, and prayer. I really think if we pause to think about the power of prayer, uh, how we're engaging in that spiritual battle, we'd be more faithful in it, and we take it more seriously than maybe we do. So, have a game plan, have a solid team, know your adversary, and get your game gear on. Well, regardless of who wins tonight, in the eternal battle, we are promised and we know who wins. The question, in my view, is which team will you play for? Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we are so grateful that we have your word, which is ever instructive to our hearts, which are wicked and easily deceived. Father, we're grateful to you uh, that you have prepared us for the battle. That we are in. Uh, may we be sober minded about that and take it seriously. Uh, may we lean into the tools you've given us, whether it's leaning upon the Holy Spirit or upon one another. Uh, may we take seriously our adversary, the devil. Father, we, we are grateful not only that you've prepared us, that you, but that you walk before us and behind us, that you look after us, and that you guard us uh, from our spiritual enemy. Father, may we uh, resist the devil and flee from him, and may we resist evil in all of its forms, and may, be, may we be serious and sincere and play with all zealousness in the battle that you called us to be a part of. We pray that we might fight valiantly and fight and finish well, that We might win not because of our strength, but because of yours. We love you, Father, very much. And we know that you love us very much because of your son. And it's in his name we offer this prayer.